Hey there, language lovers. Shannon Kennedy here with my co-host, Benny Lewis, for the latest language hacking episode, where we are chatting with Anya Silker, founder of Zaloa Languages, who is a polyglot educator and entrepreneur, as well as someone who is learning an indigenous language. We discuss using social gatherings to gain conversation skills in a new language, combining fitness with language learning, learning Waddle and discovering a passion for indigenous languages, combating negative feedback as a language learner, strategies for keeping your conversations in the target language, and transitioning from a brick and mortar business to online. If you enjoy this episode of the podcast or the podcast in general, we always appreciate your reviews. You can share what you think over at languagehacking.com slash review. All of the links and resources mentioned in this episode are available to you as a part of the show notes. Now let's get into our chat with Anya. The links and resources mentioned in this episode can be found at languagehacking.com forward slash 66. Welcome to the Language Hacking Podcast from Fluent in Three Months. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Language Hacking Podcast. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Shannon. And today we are interviewing my friend, Anya Spilker, who is uh, from Germany, but living in Mexico. And she has uh, started her own language learning company, uh, Zaloa which uh, she helps people learn multiple languages. And she'll be talking about her story as well as learning an indigenous language. So that's going to be an interesting aspect of that interview today. So thank you so much for joining us, Anya. Thank you, Benny, for the beautiful introduction. Thank you, Benny and Shannon, for having me. Um, yeah. So um, should I start and then present myself or? Yeah. Yeah. Let's uh, before we get into your current situation, let's let's hear about your background and how you got into languages in the first place. Sure. OK, so I was born and raised in, in Germany, and I guess I always have had this uh, feeling of of traveling and, and learning languages, not really for the purpose of learning a language, but more for the purpose of a communication. Um, and so I, I started moving to other countries at the age of 17. I'm 32 now. So this is now 15 years already. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. I keep saying I'm German, but it's like almost half of my life that I haven't lived in my home country, actually. <laughs> I know what that's like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, still, I have a very German background. Um, and I guess, uh, like culture wise, that's uh, still a very strong influence. Um, uh, so then when I was younger, I studied in different countries. I worked in different countries in uh, France and the French part of Switzerland and Canada. Um, and uh, I traveled quite a lot as well to different countries. And then in 2014, I moved to Mexico. And the initial idea was to stay here for six months. And it's been seven years now. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. Seven years. So how does six months abroad turn into seven years? <laughs> um, yeah, I guess um, as a strong and an independent woman, I, 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 I love the explanation of um, uh, I just fell in love with the country, which is true. <laughs> but I also had back then uh, a boyfriend here in Mexico. And I, that, I guess that uh, made this decision of, of staying um, a bit uh, yeah, stronger, maybe. 
Um, and then I also launched uh, my company, Zello Languages, in 2015, so about six years ago. Um, and I launched it first actually in, in Germany as a digital company. Um, and because, well, as a German citizen, it was just easier, I guess, to, to launch my company in, in my home country. But I was living in, in Mexico and working online. And then, <laughs> and like, apart from, from languages, I'm really, I really like business, actually. I think especially for, like with a good reason behind it, uh, it's it's nice to do business. Um, and so I saw the opportunity and uh, a local opportunity actually to to start growing um, my language company within Mexico. Um, and so I took this opportunity in 2016, more or less, um, and opened a like. What do you imagine as a language school, I guess, with different teachers and some, which we don't have now anymore. Um, but uh, yeah, that was then, of course, another reason uh, that made me stay as well, because I had my company here. Um, and I had like really Mexico is an amazing country, but like the main purpose when I came to Mexico was to learn Spanish. I didn't know any Spanish back in 2014. And so I guess like because French after German is my second language, I guess I learned it quite fast. Like maybe I think like after six months, I was already quite fluent in that language. Um, and and then I was like, so what's the challenge now for me here? Right. And then like about three years ago, I started uh, learning um, the most important ind indigenous language in, or the most spoken indigenous language in Mexico, Nahuatl. And that made me change completely like my mindset and, 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 and the point of view that I had. Yeah, that was an amazing experience. And so what is your language learning approach? Like uh, after obviously you had lots of time with your French and that would have given you an edge. But uh, before we get into the uh, Nahuatl, I'd be very curious to hear what was your process with Spanish? Because I see your videos online and your Spanish sounds very authentic and very, very Mexican and you got a, uh, your accent's very good. So like, how how did you um, do that? Because it can also happen that expats move to a country and just end up speaking like either your native language or just English with everybody and not really picking up much on the language. So how did you uh, get like a truly immersed experience with your Mexican Spanish? Um, I guess the connection with people. So what I did uh, back then when I moved to Mexico, I was a student in my master's degree. So I guess when you're still a student, things are sometimes maybe easier in terms of like connecting with people. So what I did is that I prepared my first conversations. And I remember, so I went to a lot of parties and honestly, like I wasn't interested in those parties, to be honest. <laughs> like I would only go there for like two or three hours and then I was tired. <laughs> While everyone would party until 6 a.m., I was in my bed at 2 a.m. <laughs> but I used that opportunity because people, especially in Latin America and especially in Mexico, they're in general very curious. So they would ask me all the time the same questions, which were, where are you from? What do you do here in Mexico? What do you study? Uh, where does your family live? That was also a very common question. So basically, I trained that little conversation. It was maybe conversations of about five to 10 minutes, but I trained that so many times. I had always the same answer. I remember still, like, I, I would always say, like, uh, 
soy de Alemania, pero vivo en Suiza, because back then I was still like officially living in Switzerland. Um, tengo una hermana que se llama Sara, so I would always say the same. And then people were like, oh, so your Spanish is great. And I was like, no, it's actually not. But <laughs> yeah, practicing those sentences, um, I guess that was like the first, um, the first approach because um, with that, I also avoided uh, that people would talk to me in English, which they, which they usually enjoy. So um, yeah, that helped me a lot. And then from there, Um, I avoided very much uh, German-speaking friends. <laughs> I live in a town which is uh, full of German speakers because of the German car companies here. Um, and I avoided making uh, German friends. Uh, I, I always said, like, okay, if I make international friends, at least um, not my mother tongue, <laughs> please. <laughs> um, yeah, and I guess that helped a lot in the process of immersion. So... One of the other things that I know that you like doing as far as language strategies, other than um, using social gatherings to work on your language, is using physical movements and exercise and tying that to your language learning. So can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, so in general, I guess we all have this time problem, right? And we use that often as an excuse to say, oh, uh, yeah, I would love to learn that language, but, right? And then there's like millions of reasons why we don't have the time. Um, and the same uh, occurs with uh, fitness in general, also with business, with starting a company. So like, I guess there's three main activities uh, in my life, which is uh, business, fitness and, and language learning. They have a lot in common. And so um, that was actually a little bit of coincidence that I just started when I, I think it was even when I started with Mandarin that I started counting the numbers I think this is how it all started. And then actually I uh, practiced when I worked out with friends, I practiced that uh, strategy with my friends and they enjoyed it a lot. And so um, I started a bit more like combining and, and researching also about this um, combining fitness with learning. And I found a lot of interesting studies about the general learning effect while you move your body, which was very interesting because they also use that for kids. Um, in schools, for example. And um, so I started like building different vocabulary groups. Um, so for example, I don't know, let's say you want to learn uh, German and you build like vocabulary groups of fruits and, and it's just 10 words. And then you would do like apfel, banana. And while saying those words, you would do your push-ups or sit-ups or whatsoever. And it was actually a lot of fun. And, and we did that with friends. And so I started doing that or implementing that approach also in our um, language company. Um, and people enjoyed it a lot. And I honestly, I still wish I had a, yeah, gotten further with that concept. But then in the end, um, <laughs> I guess I found my own excuses and uh, didn't really continue like uh, creating videos about it. Um, I even uh, started working with a fitness coach uh, who would help me with the fitness because I'm not a fitness expert like at all. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess like everyone who, who enjoys fitness and it can also be just a, a good walk or a run um, where you combine that. Um, but uh, it's definitely a very interesting approach and I highly recommend it. Definitely. And uh, like you're saying, one of the other three uh, kind of pillars in your life is starting the business. So for people who are listening, who may be uh, interested in maybe starting their business themselves, you've gone through this process 
in a completely different country. So essentially you would have had to start all over again in Mexico. So what advice would you give to somebody who uh, either in their home country or maybe as part of their plan to move abroad may want to be an entrepreneur and start their own company, um, given that you've done it so, uh, so many times? Um, yeah, so I have currently uh, three companies, two of them are registered in, in Germany and the other one in, in, in Mexico. And the one in Mexico is the biggest. And I guess, so when I started this, it was just easier for me to do it in my home country as a German citizen. Um, so if, you, if you're thinking about starting your own company and you're like thinking about where to do that or um, at least where to have the, the official headquarters... Um, think about it also like language wise, for example, I guess when I started my company in 2015, my Spanish was good, but doing all the paperwork in Spanish and, and dealing with lawyers and, and, and I don't know, that's, that's a different story, I guess. So be aware of that. And in general, if you're thinking about like, um, starting your first company, even if it's, um, a freelance business, for example, and if you're at the same time also language learner, then you know the, the barriers in general. And, and there's a lot of things, a lot of common barriers um, that you um, might yeah, find during uh, in the first months, especially. And I guess be prepared for that and, and just get started, but also be always aware of what could happen. So for example, language learners, right? So we have like maybe language learners who are not that experienced, they might find excuses why not to start. Or more experienced language learners, they don't get to a fluent level because they fall in love with another language and, and then they just skip the language, right? I guess we all know that <laughs> problem. And that's the same in business. So when you start your first company, it's really the first time you're not experienced, you will find excuses why not to get started. And when you are already a bit more experienced, have launched maybe a couple of, I don't know, ideas, projects whatsoever, then you might also have this problem of having lots of ideas and then not getting started with any of those ideas or not getting further with any of those ideas because you have too many, right? So I guess be aware of that. That would be my main advice. How have you found that running your own business has impacted your language learning or how has your language learning impacted running your own business? Oh, a lot. <laughs> Good question, that one. Um, I guess uh, so. When I when I started Zaloa, I always wanted a positive impact. That was like one of my main purposes when I started my company because I don't see money as something negative in general. Because I think you can actually do good things with money. Um, and I used to work before starting my own company for like. Yeah, big international corporations um, in Switzerland, earning a lot of money, to be honest. But I, I didn't really use it that well in terms of the company. I, I like there was nothing I could do about it as a person. And so when I started Zaloa, I always wanted this positive impact. And so we started uh, right from the beginning. We implemented a project in a very small Mexican town, about an hour from where I live where we would send uh, international students, usually English native speakers, um, who would help uh, adults uh, to learn English because that town is very famous for blue corn. So they have this blue corn production 
And one of the, um, the guys who, who produces tortillas out of this blue corn, so blue corn tortillas, delicious, by the way, he said, yeah, my biggest dream is to sell those tortillas in the United States. And I was like, okay, so what is holding you back? And he said, yeah, I don't speak the language. And I was like, okay, yeah, we can change that. <laughs> and so in the end, it, it started with just one person. And, and then in the end, we ended up teaching the, the the whole town like all adults but also uh, kids and then like once they invited us um for a dinner there to to say thank you for everything we had done and so on and i realized they speak nahuatl and i've always been very interested in in nahuatl but it's not like you find like yes you find a lot of people speaking nahuatl but not really publicly let's say and so then in the end, I thought, what am I doing here? So basically, I'm, I'm helping people to learn English while I live in a country with so many 68 indigenous languages. And, and that like was then an exchange and, and helped me. Okay. My business actually should also do other things than just teaching English or helping people to learn English. Um, and then I started learning Nahuatl and I guess this was something like the business myself was my motivation was, it was also to, to be like an example to show that, yes, it is possible to learn an indigenous language. And, um, on the other hand, obviously also like learning that language was also a new way for me, um, of experiencing the, the business uh, side of, of my business and, and doing something myself, learning a language myself um, to help the business. So yeah, a lot in general. And so when whenever someone considers the idea of learning an indigenous language, one of the biggest challenges that will kind of uh, dissuade them from doing that is the lack of resources. So like that alone, like if someone is thinking, should I learn you know, this language or an indigenous language. They, they just, they don't have the options available to them. So what would you say to people who are thinking that and what other challenges come up with learning an indigenous language that uh, you've discovered ways to overcome? Hmm, good question. So I guess definitely the lack of uh, resources is is one thing. Um, and what I like also whenever I went to language conferences and, and exchanged ideas with other language learners who learned uh, less common languages, indigenous languages or minor languages, um, we talked a lot about this and it's also about creating material, right? So if there is not, if there is not a lot of resources, then you can actually help there as well, right? So, um, whatever you do, if it's a song that you translate, or if it's a book that you find, or if it's a native speaker that you talk to, you can record it and use that video as a new resource. So I guess that is, that is something important whenever you start also team up with others. Um, so we started actually building a, in Mexico, this little now what learners communities. <laughs> um, and that's also part of the motivation, I guess. Um, but apart from the material, which in Nahuatl, obviously like nothing compared to learning German in, in Mexico, learning French. Like whenever I go to a, I don't know, a place where I can buy books, then uh, I would find a lot of Mandarin books or Japanese or 
any language, but they don't have Nahuatl, of course. But still, there is resources. Like compared to other languages, I think there still is a lot of resources. What I found really hard is this communication part, right? There is about 2 million speakers in Mexico and also a little bit in Guatemala and even in El Salvador. But the hard part was for me to, to get them to talk to me because there's also a social barrier we're talking about, right? So I remember like we would go to the market, which is my favorite place ever to practice Nahuatl. And one of the first times, like right now, people know me and they even like whenever I enter the market, there's like, ah, oh, there's this woman who speaks Nahuatl. And then like lots of people come to me and, and, and talk to me in Nahuatl. But the first weeks, that was really hard. And I remember one of one of my friends who was Mexican, he asked a woman saying like, uh, Usted habla Nahuatl. And he said it a bit like in a, in a very fast way. And, and she was just like, no, I don't speak Nahuatl. And then I was like, that's not possible. She just talked to her husband and now I heard that. And so I went to her and I said, listen, um, I'm here like with my language school and we learn Nahuatl, but actually I'm not quite sure how to pronounce this sentence. So would you mind listening to my sentence? And then you could maybe correct me if that's okay for you. And then she said like, yeah, <laughs> but not really interested. And and I guess that was the hardest point to, to, to overcome, to find people um, that would actually talk to me and, and enjoy that as well. Um, and then also another barrier I found with indigenous languages, those people telling me or even texting me, like, why do you even do that? Why do you even take the time? Why don't you learn Mandarin instead? Because I started with Mandarin and people asked me, so how is that going? I was like, yeah, I, I did not continue. <laughs> And so people were like, yeah, like, why do you even learn Nahuatl? It, it just doesn't make sense. And I mean, I knew it always for me that it made sense. And you guys know it. And I guess people who listen to this episode know it as well. But it was just like so time consuming. It was like, should I just not answer those messages? But then I was like, no, because <laughs> um, I really want to change something in society. So I should take the time and listen to why they think it's not important and maybe from there, it changed their perspective. But yeah, I guess those are the three barriers. Lack of resources, getting people to talk, and others who criticize us for that, yeah. I think the getting people to talk is a really interesting thing that it's worth spending some more time on because regardless of what language you're learning, a lot of fear is surrounding like if the person switches back into English or doesn't want to talk to them in the language or give them the opportunity to practice. So given that you've experienced this quite a bit, what are some of the strategies that you use to keep the language in the conversation that you're wanting to practice? Hmm. I think it's very hard at a basic level because you so I guess like like those A levels, it's always good if you if you can take classes, for example, because then you basically pay someone to listen to your crap <laughs> to the sentence that really don't make sense and where it takes you a minute to finish one sentence. Um, and I guess like just people on the street, they would not be patient enough maybe um, for that or in, in general, that's at least my experience. And then when you get to those, like for example, B1 level, um, where you can in theory, like already talk to people, but maybe you make a lot of mistakes. And also sometimes I guess you as English native speakers have that even more, um, is that people want to practice their English, right? So 
So what I usually do is that I value their mother tongue and that I say in general, look, I, I really like your language and you would help me a lot just listening to it and maybe correcting me as well. And, and that helps in general as well to ask really for help. Um, because otherwise it's just sometimes faster to switch to English, right? But if you really ask for help and if those people know that they, that with their patience, they help you, um, this helps a lot. Yeah. So we've we've touched on some of the struggles with um, learning an indigenous language, but I'm very curious to hear some of the positives that you've gotten out of um, Nahuatl. Like obviously, I don't. I like you said, as fellow language learners, we understand your motivation, and I've da- I've dabbled in indigenous languages myself. But obviously, it enriches your life in certain ways that maybe some people may not fully understand. So, can you share those with us? Yes. So I like to use the quote, which is not mine. It's from my teacher, but it's my favorite quote ever. Um, so he used to say, um, when you live in Mexico, speaking like as a foreigner or as a Mexican, speaking only Spanish, it's like seeing the country in black and white. And once you start learning an indigenous language, like Nahuatl, you start seeing the colors of the country. And this is so true. Like really, like, it's, it's amazing because especially in, in Mexico, a lot of places have names that come from indigenous language. And, and so like, for example, now when I travel through Mexico, because I, I do travel quite a lot and I go to different places and then I know like, oh, Mazatlan, which is a place near uh, the ocean. And, and, you know, like, okay, Mazatl, that's venado. Okay, great. So Mazatlan, the place, ah, el lugar de los venados. So it just makes sense. And you understand, okay, so uh, this is a place where the water comes from. And you realize, okay, yeah, there's water springs. And it's just because of the name and now well, that I know that, right? So I guess in terms of that, that's super interesting. Um, another uh, benefit is, is definitely the connection with people as well. Um, so whenever I go to the market, like right now, my experience or, or my friendships there um, are very different to, to other friendships. And, and I just got to know the, the country from a different perspective. And also, like maybe now, two and a half years later, I can say that this social change kind of, um, because like, I think I haven't, had a message in months now, someone criticizing me for learning Nahuatl. But the first year, almost every day, almost every day I would upload something on Instagram or on YouTube about learning Nahuatl. Almost every day someone was criticizing me for that. And I don't have that anymore. So it's either people got used to me doing that or, and this is what I hope, is that their mindset has shifted a bit. So I guess that like really when you keep on going and, and keep on seeing also the, the main goal, which is not only to be fluent in the language, but also to, 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 yeah, have an, an impact and, and to connect with people. Um, that's definitely a huge plus. Yeah, definitely. So you said that you've lived abroad in a few different places before you finally kind of settled in Mexico. So I'm guessing that you've likely learned some of the other languages for some of the other places that you lived. How do you go about doing that when you're living abroad? Do you learn before you move or do you kind of learn as you're living there? What's your strategy for that? 
Mm, I don't think I have a very clear strategy in that, to be honest. So like with Spanish, for example, I, I started learning a little bit, but I keep saying like when I, when I arrived in Mexico, I, I didn't know any Spanish because like apart from, I don't know, hola, me llamo Anya, donde está el baño? It, it wasn't that much. <laughs> um, so I guess I don't have a very clear strategy because it depends on, 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 well, time matters as well, right? Um, for example, when I started learning Japanese, my main purpose was the Polyglot Conference in Japan. So I started about maybe eight months before the conference. And, and honestly, then after the conference, yeah, I did not really continue learning Japanese. It's in general, it's definitely a big plus if you start before, uh, before moving or before traveling to that country. But sometimes it's just not possible and that's also okay. So if you don't have the time before, if you, if you really can't make it, then don't use that as an excuse when you're in the country to say like, yeah, no, no, I, I don't know. It, and now it's impossible. It's not. So it, it really depends on the situation, I guess. And I don't have a very clear strategy there. I try to do my best every time and, and sometimes it works and sometimes it does not. So. As well as uh, teaching English, um, your school and, and uh, diving into teaching uh, now what? Uh, you also personally yourself teach German. So how do you find it different to uh, teaching languages that you've uh, learned later in your life compared to learning your native language, like or teaching your native languages, say? How is that different? Yeah, I think it's it's um, the main purpose for me is is to move something in in others and i started teaching german for fun to be honest when i first moved to to france in 2000 when was that seven i guess yeah <laughs> um and that was really just for fun and then i realized when i moved to switzerland to the french part of switzerland where german was very important that i could actually make some extra money with that and same when i moved to canada so the first years were mainly because I could make some, like as a student, I could make some extra money with that. Um, and now obviously my, my vision is, is, is bigger. Um, I think as a language teacher, um, it's very important also because sometimes we forget, right? So we forget how hard it is, this like learning a language and this whole process and so what I, what I keep saying this, and that's also why it's so important that I always uh, keep learning languages, new languages, and, and keep uh, improving the ones I've already started, is this, imagine like your students, what is their, what, what is their biggest struggle? Like, what is their fear? So understanding their position is very important. And if you if you've learned a language maybe 10 years ago you don't know that anymore you can't feel it anymore and um i guess this is what what helps me as well as a as a language teacher to to yeah to know the process to know the the fear as well of getting there yeah so what was the experience transitioning from teaching in person in a school to teaching online like for you yeah, luckily we, we didn't have really this transition. So, um, when I started Zello in 2015, my main goal back then was, um, to be able to work from anywhere in the world, right? We all 
have heard about the digital nomads. So back then, that was my main purpose. It's not anymore, but uh, it used to be. And then, as I said before, I just saw this business opportunity, a local opportunity in Mexico. So I took it. Um, and, and so offline was a big thing. And at some point, like after a year or so, the offline part, uh, um, yeah, the, the income generated by the offline part was even higher than the online part. So the focus shifted a little bit, but we would still like always continue with the online part. And then, um, it was just, yeah, it's it's actually hard to do something in a in a physical place because you always have to really be there, and and I found that very difficult because even after a couple of years, I still felt, and that's obviously also the ego, but I still felt that the place depended kind of on me, which wasn't true, I guess, but uh, that's what I thought. <laughs> um, and so when the whole pandemic started. We were ready, like we were so ready. We had launched a couple of online courses before we had our systems for online classes, all our teachers. And back then we had about 30 freelance teachers, I guess. And we had over 10 languages and, and all our teachers knew how to teach online. Um, so it wasn't really a big deal for us to, to, to like completely uh, rebuild the company or, or uh, find a new strategy or something like that. It's just, um, yeah, made a clear focus, I guess. And and so we closed the classrooms last year in August, so a year ago. And um, yeah, we, we started actually focusing on, on just the strong languages because as a, as a polyglot, like you want to offer all languages, right? And people would ask, oh, so do you have Korean? And I was like, no, we don't, but let me look for a teacher. And so we offered Korean, we started Korean. Um, and now we're back to, okay, we focus really like this is just a business strategy in the end. We focus on German, we focus on Spanish for foreigners, and we focus on Mexican languages, indigenous languages, and that's it. And all the rest, we don't do it anymore. So for, for now. Um, so yeah, but uh, the transition wasn't very hard for us from offline to online. And uh, you've said that like initially when you were getting into building a business online, your goals were uh, to potentially help you be a digital nomad and travel and so on. And that's obviously changed. So I'm curious, what are your um, projections for the future of, uh, of Zaloa languages? Like, uh, do you plan to um, like really hone in on the local languages or uh, do you want to expand, have different staff? What, what do you see as uh, where the things are going with you? Yeah. So um, definitely we want to expand on the Latin American market with the German language, because now we have actually also a very clear focus for German learners. We do have, for example, German courses with English explanations, but we don't, we don't use them actually. We, we don't focus on that because there's just so many people out there who explain German from an English speaking perspective. And there's very few German native speakers who explain German from a Spanish speaking perspective. And I guess that for us as polyglots, that's a huge advantage, right? That we have. So I could do that anytime right now. It's, it's, it's not something that I'm thinking about, but I could do that anytime also in French, which is one of my strongest languages. I guess I could do that also in Portuguese, which is one of my strongest languages. And so in theory, that would be possible. But for now, we really want to focus on the Latin American market. And also, just because there's like all or most Latin American countries uh, have Spanish as their first language, 
it doesn't mean that they work the same the same way, right? So for me, what I uh, discovered now that we're so big in, in, in Peru and in Colombia and in, in Argentina, especially, I just don't understand those markets. So for me as a person, I decided that I want to know those markets better. And uh, so this year, for example, I'm going to go to Argentina for a while, mainly to get to know the market better, to understand the people, to understand their struggles. I know they suffer from inflation, but I just, there's a lot of things that I just don't understand about how they learn or, or their, their motivation to learn German. So um, first uh, goal is definitely focus more on the Latin American market. And then technology wise, um, there is a lot of things that uh, we want to do next year, which I can't say yet, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, technology, I'm really into technology. And um, uh, I always think that uh, it's, it's, it's great to keep on investing. And, and that's what we do, basically. Like we always reinvest to to become better and, and to learn from our mistakes and um, yeah, to reinvest in technology as well. All right. Given that this is the Language Hacking Podcast, one of the questions that we always like to ask our guests is what is your definition of language hacking? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, hacking for me, I mean, obviously also here, right? We can use that in a, in, in different contexts as well. But when you ask about language hacking, it's like, for me, this hacking thing is like an access to, to something that will help me in the end with my purpose, right? So it's usually about overcoming my own fears, right? And we can use language hacks, like for example, how to learn vocabulary better. But in my personal case, it's overcoming my fears. So finding strategies for improving on a, on a personal level, because in the end, this is what motivates me and what keeps me going with my languages. So um, always, for example, therapy, I like whenever I don't go to therapy, I feel the difference. So therapy is something that also helps me in my language learning process um, because it helps me to overcome my fears or my insecurities or whatsoever. Excellent. Well, this has been very interesting. We appreciate you coming on and uh, thanks for sharing your journey with all of us. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And until the next time, we'll wish you and everybody else a very happy language learning. Happy language learning. Happy language learning. At the end of each episode, Benny and I like to share something that we learned in our discussion with our guests. And these are things that we pick out that are applicable to your own language learning. So they're things that you can try out or do and see how they work for you. So Benny, what was your takeaway from our discussion with Anya? Uh, One thing she said that has um, really rung true for me for the languages that have uh, fewer resources available for you is to just create the resources yourself. And I really like that idea. And it's something I've been doing, for instance, with my Irish. My Irish has more resources for learning it and for getting exposure than compared to a language like uh, Nahuatl. But I still am trying to get into a daily process of writing a journal in Irish. And even if I want to make a TikTok video, I'll think, okay, can I translate this song into Irish myself? And these ways, uh, you should also consider that even if you're learning a language like Spanish or German that already have lots of resources, by creating 
them in the language yourself by trying to make something in that language. Uh, it really helps you gain a better insight into it. And as you heard with Anya, she's got a, a very special place in her heart for Nahuatl especially. Um, and I think a big part of that is her trying to create those resources herself. So it's a, a tip I would recommend for people, no matter what language they're learning. What about yourself? Um, so first, your tip, I totally agree. And uh, it's something that I've done with Croatian. So I created my own research and podcasts just because it was a great way for me to review everything that I've learned, better instill it, and then create something for other learners of the language when there's not that many resources available. There are more available for Croatian now than there were when I started learning. But still, it, like you said, you can use this for any language. And because we all learn a little bit differently and we all have things that work best for us, um, you never know what you may put together may end up being really helpful to other people. Um, so it's just great to continue adding to what's out there. Um, but the other takeaway for me with from our discussion was what she discussed when she was talking about going to parties and practicing the same kind of Spanish script over and over and over. So she knew what kinds of questions people were going to ask her. And so she became really good at that one thing and was able to build from there and get better from there. And I think this kind of plays into the whole language island thing. You know, I love this concept and becoming very specialized in specific things. And that helps you. Um, so just doing that, like, going and gaining a lot of confidence in the language in one situation and not being afraid to practice the same thing over and over and over. Um, I think that that's something that we often are guilty of in language learning is constantly seeking novelty and new. And so what ends up happening is we never really get that good at certain things. We just become passable at a bunch of things in a language. So really becoming good for the situations that you're going to run into in the language and practicing those things over and over. And you don't need to go to parties to do this. Um, as you know, I'm introverted. So doing that would just be terrifying for me. But what I can do is I can role play these with a tutor one on one where there's a little bit less pressure and just practice that. And it's a good strategy for gaining a lot of confidence in your language and your ability in the language. So that's it for me. All right. So once again, if you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, or of course, the podcast in general, you can share your thoughts with us over at languagehacking.com slash review. We love hearing from you and your reviews help other language learners find us. And it also lets us know what you enjoy most so we can keep doing more of it as a part of the podcast. And as always, the links and resources mentioned in this episode are going to be available to you as a part of the show notes. So that's it for this episode. Until the next time, happy language learning. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you found this episode valuable and want to help us out, please leave a review at languagehacking.com forward slash review. The Language Hacking Podcast is presented by Benny Lewis and Shannon Kennedy and produced by David Sobel, with special thanks to the Fluent in Three Months team. The theme music was written and performed by Shannon Kennedy. Find the show notes at languagehacking.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening and happy language learning.